Hi, this is Sav. This is Katie. And this is Michael from The Accidentals. And you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, audio streams up 15%, vinyl sales double in first half of 2021, MRC Data's 2021 U.S. Mid-Year Report. Also from Billboard, UK Parliament Inquiry recommends complete reset of streaming business, House of Commons, DSMS Report, and the economics of music streaming. From Pitchfork, why are independent artists and labels turning away from vinyl? And lastly from Billboard, how millennials and Gen Zs are redefining digital audio. We've got this and a ton of more stuff, a lot of stuff to talk about today on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your Morning Coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jay Gilbert, here we are on a Sunday, are. as we often are, recording, and uh, loved, loved, loved the intro from the Accidentals. Accidentals. And, uh, neat song, and I see you have your Go Getter shirt on. <laughs> I do. The song is called Go Getter, but when they were recording it, um, they were joking around uh, about singing Goat Getter, um, and you got to know that the the accidentals love goats. I love goats. Uh-huh. I was at an offsite uh, with one of my clients, which is Love Conquered Records, and in Northern California, we had this offsite meeting recently, and the the gentleman uh, that runs Love Conquered has goats, and so uh-huh. outside of the recording studio, you can go and just go into this large pen. There's a seat in there if you want to sit down and be one with the goats. But there's something really peaceful and zen-like about 
goats. So anyway, uh, right right near my house, ironically, is there's a there's a company that does uh, weed abatement because I live in sort of a rural area. Um, that you know, in this time of year, you have to have your if you have a certain amount of property, you have to have your your weeds cleared for fire protection. Yeah. And they bring out the team of goats, and <laughs> it's awesome. You know, there's like there's like you know a hundred goats, what? Uh, like just down the street at the moment. They're, they're clearing like an entire big field that somebody owns. Do they frown on you know going in and scratching their heads or talking to them or? <laughs> I don't know. They don't. They're kind of fenced in. They have like they they set up a portable electric fence, so to kind of it doesn't shock them hard. You know, just gives them a little zap to keep them kind of Yikes. where they are. Thanks. But still, it's you know I applaud. Did it's you super cool. did you see the accidentals video for I Go- did getter? What'd you think? I love the video. <laughs> it's so homey and cute and. Very well done. Yeah. I, I don't know what I don't know who did it, but I didn't look at the credits. But they, it, it's it's great. They did a fantastic job with yeah. it. Yeah. So that that track, that single, is the the first single from the upcoming album Vessel, which comes out October first. So so check that out. And the other thing that came out on Friday that I thought was really good. I don't know if you've had a chance to hear this. Um, there's an artist named Elisa Amador, and she has a, a new track called Slow Down, which is in heavy rotation in my car. Um, okay. By the way, <laughs> so in it, other words, tastemakers are listening to it. That's yeah, what right. you're telling me. So anyway, uh, check out Elisa Amador as well. I will do that. By the way, that guy right there—that's Jay Gilbert. He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which, as you may know, is weekly music news for the new music business. And a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment. I've known him for 22 years wow. or so. And uh, he likes to order the Junior Wave over at Islands <laughs> when we get together for lunch. And you always have the cheese fries, right? Is that right? So <laughs> this, this, this is uh, Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Group, where I had the pleasure of working with him, and we just bonded over uh, you know, bad food and good music. Actually, it was over the three Bs, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, and bootlegs. <laughs> Jay, Jay had a killer collection at yeah. the time of bootlegs and all the Beatle outtakes and stuff. And so I recognized uh, somebody that I need to get close with because he had the stash. And so we, uh, you speak- and I love to uh, see or hear how the sausage is made. And you were telling me about, I mean... Everybody who listens to the show knows that you are the king of music doc- documentaries. But you're, <laughs> you started that. one before I did uh, recently. The nineteen oh well, yeah the yeah so we in the in the last couple of weeks we've talked about nineteen seventy one the year of music changed everything which is on Apple Plus which is great. Then we talked about the Summer of Soul which we have both seen which is great. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Friday I think it was um, Hulu uh, started. Uh, McCartney 123, which is a kind of an interview documentary thing with Rick Rubin talking to Paul McCartney about how some of those great Beatles songs came together. Yeah. And it's, as you said, it's the sausage being made and they take the, they listen to the individual tracks and he talks about, you know, what was going on when oh, they can't wait. did those songs. And you have some it's, history with Rick Rubin. I used to work for Rick. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, super nice guy. Very and cool. um I have some. I, I've I've been in his Rolls Royce driving around. <laughs> you, you and I will have to, you know, have lunch soon and uh, talk about. Yeah, that. we'll talk about those days exactly. All so. right. Well, let's jump into it, Jay. Uh, well, we should we take from- our sponsors? You were about to do oh, that, and I think I interrupted Jay. you. 
No, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's ahead. right. You so, go. I'll kick it off. You know, we want to. Yes. We we uh, would be remiss without thanking our great sponsors. First of all, yes. you know, Hypebot. Since 2004, Hypebot has chronicled the new music business. Uh, and uh, the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha. Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists across... <laughs> cross managers labels <laughs> agencies and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms and i can tell you if it wasn't my first app on my when i first got an iphone it was very close to that and yeah. i can tell you that my entire family has bands in town on their phones yeah uh it's it's the, such a great app and it uh, really is and you know most people just think of it as this app, you know, I think they have like 40 million users and it looks at your music library and says, oh, uh, Mike, you like uh, Neil Finn. Well, guess what? He's going to be in town in a few weeks. You can yes. buy tickets. And they love it for that. But what a lot of uh, marketers, artists, managers don't realize is that those people that are following you are called trackers and you can message them for free through the platform. So yeah. you may have thousands and thousands of trackers and you can you know, send them a message saying, Hey, I've got a new record that's coming out on uh, record. Listen to me uh, on Friday. <laughs> Showing your age. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. And uh, you can message them. But here's the other thing is that you can send messages to the fans of other artists for, you know, like five cents an email. So yeah. let's say that, you know, that fans of the Chainsmokers would love your band, you can send a message to them and say, hey, you like the Chainsmokers? You'd love this. So anyway, Bands in Town is much more than most people think it is. It's, it's a great platform. It's really well done. And it was, uh, it's hard to believe they've been around as long as they have. Yeah. I mean, God bless them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were early on the game. Yeah. So. Okay, now, thank you for, for steering me back to what I need to be steered back to. It's Let's talk about this first article in Billboard. Audio streams up 15%, vinyl sales double in the first half of 2021, and then there's a new MRC data uh, kind of release for the 2021 U.S. Yeah. Mid-Year Report. Well, let's so, talk about MRC really quickly for those that don't yes. know. Um, MRC is the artist formerly known as SoundScan, basically. So <laughs> yes. SoundScan, Nielsen Connect, MRC, they're all basically the same thing. It just goes under MRC now. So when you hear people talking about MRC, yeah, everybody kind of knows what SoundScan is, was. That's, that's what MRC is. So this report is the first six months of the year compared to the first six months of last year. And it's yeah. super interesting. It really is. It's, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff though. <laughs> you know, it's, it is, it is, but you know, we need to have these kind of report cards, right? Once in a while to see like, how is vinyl really doing? How, what's, yeah. what's going on with, you know, the streaming world and, and, and they, they talk about it, especially you remember this is the first six months. So it's under the pandemic, you know, the recorded music business has continued to thrive overall on demand streams in the U S now we're talking U S uh, mm -hmm. with this report and we have an IFPI report later, um, where we go over global numbers, but so the, uh, on demand streams in the U S grew almost 11% 
um, in the first half of 2021, yeah, 2021 compared to the first uh, six months of 2020, according to this MRC data. Within that, audio streams grew 15% to nearly 483 billion from nearly 420 uh, million in the corresponding earlier period. And globally, audio streams performed even better, jumping a whopping 27.3%. Wow. Amazing. But I do want to, I want to go back to actually, you know, kind of we t- what you were talking about, what MRC is. But they also mentioned at the beginning of the report, it says the first half of 2021 also marked a major milestone for us at MRC data. It has been 30 years since we launched the precursor to our present system sound scan, first employed on the Billboard 200 and Top Country albums. Mm. Charts dated May 25th, 1991. Sound scan data was later incorporated into the rest of the Billboard's weekly sales chart. I can't believe it's been 30 years. Yeah, I remember I it Because I remember well. it like it was yesterday. Yeah. And that's Where were you to, when, when that, because that was a major tectonic shift in the music industry. I had just started at Giant Records, okay. Irving Azoff's label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. left Warner Brothers Records and gone to Giant. And, uh, you know, it, it it caused, as I think you, we, you and I have talked about, it, it caused havoc. It I mean, turned things the upside best, down. It turned things upside down. Because, and, think about it, we were basically using people's opinions of what sold as opposed to hard data. And for the first time, we actually saw that country albums were selling. And prior to that, they didn't really make the charts very often, right? Yeah. And it it was shocking to the industry what was actually selling and what wasn't. And it took away kind of the games that were played prior to that where you would you know, not only go for ads at radio stations, but you would go for position. So we would get these phone calls, you know, at tower records where they'd say, okay, Jay, you're the singles buyer. You know, we want this song in the top 20 this week, top 15 the next week. And there was this cadence involved in that. And it took all of that away. Yeah. Overnight. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, there was a lot of people that, that were well paid, uh, because they knew how to manipulate the old system. You take and that so back. S- I know. So suddenly they were like, <laughs> ah, yeah. So fascinating, fascinating. I can't believe it was 30 years. And, yeah. And yeah. I was not a young man when that happened. So yeah. I can't there you go. That, yeah, 30 years. Uh, according to the article, let me just go back up here to the top. I, I want to shout out. This was uh, written by Ed Crispin. Um, who's written some most amazing pieces over there uh, at Billboard. He says that the only serious loss was in digital sales, you know. Um, so yeah. album downloads, now, they're, they're still around. You know, iTunes and, you know, Amazon you can still buy. There, there are several different platforms where you can still buy downloads, but they continue to free fall. Um, so the loss was in digital sales. Album downloads fell almost 27%, um, while tracks dropped about 20%. Um, but physical sales rose so much, you know, that for the first time in years, total album sales actually rose by 12.6%. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah. And one of the things that I find fascinating is is when we kind of step outside of the U.S. box that we're really in and, and look at the fastest growing global streaming markets year to date in 2021. So... Uh, Japan is number one. Now, you know, if, if you don't know, Japan historically has, has, has kind of been the last oh, yeah. standing physical 
market that that super does extremely well yeah. with CD Hundreds sales. Hundreds of tower record stores still Absolutely, there. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's also very insular in Japan in that they have their own retailers, their own streaming service services. They like their local repertoire more than most mm-hmm. um, uh, countries, and so they you would think because they're so early on with technology. Um, that they would be one of the first to go to streaming, but they're actually one of the last. Yeah, absolutely. So they are number one, uh, the fastest-growing global streaming markets. Uh, Number two is Poland, interestingly enough. Yeah. Number three is Turkey. Uh, And number four is the United Kingdom, the UK, which is... Wow, how did that get on the list? And then number five is Belgium. So, uh, and then and then you have some um, some other kind of interesting folks on this ch- on this international chart: Cyprus and Greece and Guatemala, Bolivia, El Salvador. Yeah. So you know this is really becoming uh, a global business, and it's fascinating to see some of these you know countries. And again, you know Guatemala and El Salvador, they they have such problems with economically and yet you know again we talk about music you know mm-hmm. being so important to everybody's life and i don't know i don't know what they would pay in those we have something to look up at some point uh, what they would pay for those monthly services there yeah it but, is it is know, lower i've seen some it of those is lower. numbers sure um and there was a piece a while back i'll see if i can find it where they had a breakdown from some of these different countries and and what they pay and we'll get into uh, some of that in the next story too. But what what I thought was interesting is that, you know the top song this year was Olivia Rodrigo's Driver's License yeah. had five hundred and eighty two almost five hundred and eighty three million plays um, so far, which is just staggering. Some of the numbers of you know like the Dua Lipa. Um, song, you know, with uh, featuring the baby uh, levitating, levitating you know, 438 yeah. million streams. I'm looking at some of these numbers by the weekend and Cardi B, just hundreds and hundreds of millions of streams. Um, and so, you know, they, they compare the first six months of, um, of both years with these tracks, but they also take a look at albums. You know, the top album was Morgan Wallen's Dangerous, you know, the Mm -hmm. double album with, you know, 2.1 million album consumption units. And let let me step step back uh, for a moment so people understand, you know, like TEA and SEA. So there's track equivalent album and stream equivalent album. And Mm -hmm. so... When you like, let's say with downloads, the simple way to describe that would be, you know, with 10 downloads, that counts as one album album. Sure. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of different tiers when it comes to streaming. We don't have to go too deep into it right now, but you, you need less streams from a paid service than, than you would from a a free service in order to get that album equivalent. So when they talk about albums, that's what they're, they're not talking about necessarily vinyl or CD. There's these equivalents that kind of go with it. And Morgan Wallen was number one with 2.1 million. I got to tell you, I I will, I will be honest here. Uh, You, you, I, I get driver's license. I like it. I never would have guessed that it would have been the top song of the year. You, I think you, you, I remember when it came out, you told me about it Yeah. and you, you got to listen to it. This is great. And I'm like, yeah, I like it. It's good. <laughs> but there's no way that I would have predicted it would have been the number one streamed song of the year. I just thought it was what every young person kind of goes through in, in yeah. that, you know, you put your faith in someone, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And then just out of the blue, they kind of just stop caring and move on. And you're like, what the hell? Like, wh- wh- 
what happened. And she put it in just such a great song and it was so melodic and just heartbreaking. I, I knew it was going to uh, resonate with people. Yeah. Well, you called it and I, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't quite call it. So <laughs> there you go. Truth be told. Um, you know, interesting looking at vinyl album sales. And as it kind of mentions, you know, there's lots of, there's a handful of new things, but Boy, there's certainly just some classic albums that were around pre-SoundScan. Purple Rain, Thriller, Queen's Greatest Hits, Fleetwood Mac Rumors. But, you know, when you look at those numbers, oh my goodness, you know, you're, you're, you're around north of 100,000 vinyl copies. And it has been a long time since we've said that out loud. Yeah. That is remarkable. It and really of course, is. we talked last week about, and we're going to talk again later on in the show, about uh, how the, the just a backlog in on the production side of things with vinyl albums. So those numbers could have per perhaps even Definitely. been higher. Definitely. Because I know you, you, a lot of things you've been trying to pick up are just out of stock. Yeah, that's right. You know, you're right. Catalog sales up 18%. You know, uh, current album consumption was up, you know, 5.6%, which is good, but not not like what uh, catalog uh, has been. And, and you're right. A, a lot of that is a, a couple of things. One is vinyl and the fact that you can see these albums in target for example mm -hmm. you know yeah. and and also you know just with young people discovering and you've saw this with your kids i saw it with mine you know they discover older music just like we did and they'll come and say hey dad you know have you heard of queen you know and you know that sort of thing and we did it you know when i was younger i got into bands via other bands like i wasn't really i didn't grow up on the blues and it wasn't until i started really you know stealing my brother's rolling stones albums that i noticed that there was this connection there and the more i investigated that i found out that they were actually playing a lot of these old you know sunny boy williamson or whoever mm -hmm. it was and yeah. i discovered the blues through the stones and I discovered a lot of bands, you know, through the Beatles that they would cover on those early records. So I love the fact that these newer generations are starting to discover, quote unquote, classic rock. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things I, I found uh, not surprising, but but certainly interesting, of course, talking about this being a worldwide business, um, Latin had the largest percentage gain growing 37.6%. Yeah. Uh, when it talks about album consumption units, in this case, 23 million, uh, which is not surprising, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, here in El Salvador and, and, and lots of other countries that are getting streaming services in Latin American countries. It's, it's huge yeah. and, and, and huge here as well. Um, but, you know, again, we, we tend to think of, of the bubble of the U.S., but, right. boy, it's, right. it is a worldwide business without a doubt. Yeah, let's walk through, before we move on to the next one, I want to walk through some of these um, just sheer numbers uh, of these increases. And remember, there's really no bad news here other than there's, um, you know, digital downloads are down. Other than that, looking at the industry, global on-demand audio streams are up 27.5%. Mm -hmm. U.S. total of album consumption, um, and that that's includes all that TEA, SEA stuff I talked about, that's right. up 13.5%. U.S. on-demand song streaming up almost 11%. Um, U.S. total album sales in TEA up 5.3%. Uh, 
Um, U.S. total digital music consumption up 11.6%. And here's the one that was that really jumps off the page. Um, of course, there it is. I lost it for a second. Is U.S. vinyl LP sales <laughs> I know. up 108%. So in the first six months of 2020, it was about 9.2 million units. First six months of 2021, even with all of those vinyl issues, the direct shot issues, the vinyl production issues, still uh, over double, 19.2 million. Yeah, almost 20 million. Stunning, 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 stunning. Uh, and this was even interesting, too, that U.S. physical album sales, which includes vinyl, uh, 2020 was was uh, just a little under 30 million, and it's almost 40 million for 2021. So that's a 37.5 percent upward change. Um, that's in- incredible. Yeah, people are just consuming music, uh, and you know, again, we've you, you and I have talked about this. You know, it was when you step back and think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you used to we used to carry our albums or our CDs in crates, and our collection was our collection, and now you have. Almost the entire world's collection of music in your pocket, in a little device yeah. in your pocket. Crazy, remarkable yeah. time. I mean, kids, get off my lawn. I mean, I feel like the old guy. That <laughs> that is just so absolutely mind blowing to me. And this report that we're talking about, uh, check it out in your morning coffee. You can download the report for yeah. free. It's really extensive and goes into all of these different areas. We're just giving you the highlights of it, but you know, it's it's an amazing report. Um, from MRC. It's their MRC data mid-year report for the U.S. Fascinating. And by the way, as we often talk about, uh, because you and I have been involved in doing presentations from time to time, it's it's laid out beautifully. God, yeah. somebody spent a lot of time again laying it out, and it's really in, in yeah. beautiful colors, and it's it's it really it is, is wor- it is worth checking out without a doubt. Yep. So, all right, on to the next story, Jay. This, of course, is also in Billboard. Uh, UK. Oh boy, this is a big one. UK Parliament inquiry recommends complete reset of streaming business. You this and I have been the, waiting for this. Yeah, absolutely. This is written and, by Richard Smirk. Uh, mm-hmm. at Billboard, and each week, uh, gosh, for the last maybe eight weeks, you and I have been reading stories about this. Um, the the UK um, Parliament did an inquiry um, about streaming, and um, they they interviewed people, they had people come and testify, and it's calling into question the major record labels, and we go into that later, dominance of the music industry and how they leverage the market power at the expense of artists, songwriters, independents, and they're asking the government to refer the matter to the UK competition enforcer for further investigation. So... Um, I've been talking to um, some friends of mine, you know, like Chris Castle, who's a really great mm-hmm. music industry attorney, and he's introducing me to some people to kind of wrap my head around what this means, because it seems from this report that there's not a lot of teeth in this. This was just getting the facts straight, um, and the report that came out of it, oh my gosh, uh, it's a 200-page report, and again, through um, your morning coffee, you can download the report for free. Mm -hmm. Um, I did read it. It is super deep, super extensive. And it talks about all of these issues that you and I have been talking with for weeks that, you know, the, the problems with streaming and the opportunities with streaming 
And this is just kind of the first shot across the bow, this DCMS, you know, which is the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee uh, in the UK. Sounds so very UK-ish, doesn't it? Um, one of the interesting things, of course, uh, they said is that uh, concluding in sweeping fashion that the global streaming model pioneered and dominated by Spotify, Apple, YouTube and Amazon Music is unsustainable in its current form unsustainable. Uh, as they say, uh, streaming has undoubtedly helped save the music industry following two decades of digital piracy, but it is clear that what has been saved does not work for everyone, the committee writes. The issues ostensibly created by streaming simply reflect more fundamental structural problems within the recorded music industry. Streaming needs a complete reset. Yeah. And, and remember, this is just the UK right now, but the fact mm -hmm. that everybody's talking about it and they're going on record with the digital service providers like Spotify, Apple, Apple Music, you know, it, this is uh, a referral to that competition enforcer. And they say that, you know, there could be some quote unquote serious escalation um, from there in cases where the CMA finds businesses engaging in anti-competitive practices or abuses of dominant positions, it has the power to bring criminal proceedings or force divestments. And this is even more than that. You'll read the headlines across the, the internet this week about how, well, it should be one cent per stream or it should be split 50-50, you know, the revenue from streaming should be split 50-50. But what I love about the report is it doesn't get bogged down in that. It still talks about how the DSPs are paying out eh, pretty close to what downloads did. It's you know, getting close to 70% of the revenue. Mm -hmm. And that music, as we talk about often is in the report that that's paid to the rights holders. It's not paid to artists. And I keep seeing these headlines that say that, you know, these streaming services aren't paying artists enough. Well, they don't pay the artists. They pay the yeah. rights holders. And I'll say this until I'm blue in the face because these rights holders, some of them are paying their artists fairly. Some of them may not be, but... Mm -hmm. The average co-write today is north of four co-writers, you know, on the Hot 100. So right. there's going to be a split of writing revenue. So you're not going to get as much from that. Are you recouped as an artist? If you're not, then you're not going to be making money from streaming until you are recouped. There are a lot of these questions that are in this report, and they are thorough. I mean, again, this is only the UK right now, but this could easily... Um, spread across the pond because they're asking all the right questions. One of the interesting things is among its biggest recommendations, the committee report calls for the introduction of equitable remuneration on music streams, similar to what already exists in the UK. This is important for TV and radio broadcasts. Interesting. And which would see streaming royalties split 50-50 between labels and performers and distributed via, via, via a collecting society. Equitably, equitable remuneration also guarantees royalties to non-featured performers, such as session musicians, on recordings. That's key. So that's the key, right. really, thing that they are saying. And, you know, separate from... You know whether how you would pull that off financially or whatever. I, I don't think that's out of line uh, in terms of a recommendation. That it, it is certainly, it, it is a model that exists already, right? And certainly it would upend everything if you went to that. But it, it's it's I can I can understand the the rationale for yeah. that, and I and there's and a I precedent. Don't disagree. 
right? Yeah. And, and but their answer to that is they, they say in this article, what you just read is that that's not a view shared by labels who stand to take a large financial <laughs> hit if the principle is applied. So, you know, this is not by any means, you know, over. It's just this is kind of that first shot. They're saying there are problems here. Um, but you need to educate yourself in your own agreement. If you're an artist, manager, mm -hmm. you need to know what your agreement is before you complain that, you know, Spotify isn't paying the artist enough, you know, find out what is actually being, you know, and find out what, what is the difference between a, a pro rata model that we talk about and user centric, mm -hmm. because they go yeah. into that deep in this UK report and there are other options too. Um, there are ways that we can make sure that artists and songwriters are getting the revenue um, that they should get from, because right now the complaint here is that some record companies and music groups are getting richer um, after some pretty lean years. And, and it's, it's a fair argument that the songwriters and the, and these artists if you're, if this new music business is bringing in more revenue, they should participate in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really worth a read. And I, I guess my question too is, okay, so, okay, what next then, you know, what, what's the, what, what is the next shoe to drop if there is a shoe to drop, you know, and, and, and that's obviously in the UK, do people just thumb their noses at it and say, well, it's all well and good. Or, or does this have some sort of the ability to, make it happen in the UK and then see who follows. I, I, I it'll be interesting to see now what the, what the next, you know, what the volley will be, right. what the return will be. Um, and I don't know, but it's, it is really interesting. Well, the and next it's worth reading, the next step is, you know, that referral to the competition enforcer, yes. Yes. right? So, um, that CMA to see if it really is anti-competitive, you know, um, if there's any, um, real underlying issues that are either illegal or unethical. So I think that will be following really closely to see, well, what do they say? And are there going to be any policy changes? Yeah, they did say, by the way, uh, they shied away from choosing one model over another, but said that, but it said it was concerned that contractual agreements between labels and streaming services were potentially stifling innovation. So interesting that they kind of, you know, threw that out, considering, you know, we still think of this as pretty innovative the way the business has developed, but yeah. they're saying it's stifling innovation. Yeah. So. Yeah. So to be continued, look, you and I have been talking about this for weeks. It's not over yet. Um, but the first chapter is, is done. Um, people have testified, um, they've spoken, they've been, uh, they're on the record, so to speak. So, yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move. So last week, you may recall, we talked about um, basically the production backlog for vinyl and how I mean, it's basically seven, eight months at the moment. And so as popular as vinyl is and, and as, as dramatic as the sales have been, they're probably less than they could have been considering yeah. how hard it is to get it made. And so, you know, you're looking at about an eight month backlog in some cases. So not surprisingly, here is the is is the result of that. This is an article in Pitchfork from Mark Hogan. Uh, why are independent artists and labels turning away from vinyl? Faced with in, interm, interminable 
I can't even say that. Uh, <laughs> manufacturing delays. Some of music's DIY players are giving up on the beloved format. And I, I don't know what you think about this. You know, it, it's, and we, of course, have worked with artists and, and labels. And uh, I'll be gentle when I say this. You know, my, one of my favorite phrases that I, that I learned in college was the six Ps. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance, and in general, mm-hmm. I would say the the music industry sometimes doesn't follow the six P's, and they get a little impatient, and it's tough for people to make plans, especially when you we do have sort of delays and challenges in manufacturing vinyl. So I do with all of that saying, I'm like, okay, I understand why people are kind of throwing up their hands, but it's like, you know, it's still viable. It's incredibly viable. You just have to plan. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people don't want to plan. Well, what I got from this article, because there's so many artists that are talking in this article about why they're not putting out vinyl with their new release. And they all kind of had the same theme, which is uh, it's, it's taking so long to produce vinyl now. Uh, for a lot of reasons, and we can go into some of those. But what I got out of it is not that they're turning away. You know, you read the headline, why are independent artists and labels turning away from vinyl? They're not turning away from it. They're being forced to turn away from it because they can't get it manufactured in time. And as you've mentioned, it's not just the vinyl, it's the jackets. It's all of the things that go along with it. And I do have an artist uh, that I'm working with that is going to have vinyl uh, day and date because they planned ahead of time and reserved exactly. the um, capacity, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's the Accidentals. Uh, their mm-hmm. album comes out October 1st, and there's going to be vinyl available for it because early on to your six Ps, they did some proper planning, and they've got yeah. it. And look, I'm not you know, poking uh, the bear here with some of these artists, there's legitimate complaints, but you know, some things that you and I talk to people about pretty frequently is that it's not just that there's not enough capacity. It's that there are, there's a limited number of these pressing plants. Yeah. But they, they seem to be doing pretty well before, but what's happened is some of the machinery is getting old and breaking down or they're Mm -hmm. switching to newer machinery and they have to train people and hire people during a pandemic to run those machines. And you know, this, the prices have all gone up on everything. And you've talked about that i mean even the pellets there it's a petroleum product and yeah. and that's gone up in price and and the one thing you know we talked to sean rakowski you know who runs a pressing plant and sean was telling us that people don't even think about how right now there's these um it's probably a poor choice of words but they call them variants mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. you know there's different like maybe the indie stores will get a gold vinyl version yeah. and walmart will get a green one but every time you do that it slows the process down because you have to clean all those machines between these pressings and man it's it's a lot more complicated than just everybody wants to get vinyl pressed there there isn't a lot of capacity and then when there is capacity at these places, what are you going to press up? Are you going to press up the brand new Olivia Rodrigo? Or mm-hmm. are you going to press up that deep um, catalog um, title? And as I've whined to you many times, I go online to try to find these albums. For those who haven't been listening to the show, I've, I've been 
over the pandemic, I've been rebuying my favorite albums, maybe not the best mm-hmm. albums in the world, but my favorite that I grew up on that I had in high school sure. or whatever, rebuying those on like 180 gram vinyl and just experiencing that and just really enjoying it. But over the, there, there's some titles that have, they've been out of for a year. And that's because that's not the priority right now. It's those larger titles. Absolutely. Well, and we, what you can't do is say, okay, I'm going to release this record on this date, and now I'm going to look into vinyl production. Uh, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Even you if have you're a major. To, even if you're a major, exactly. So I think some, uh, uh, I'm not sure how much of this, but I think part of it is just that, you know, we're used to, in the in the music business in general, of, you know, determining a date that makes the most sense and then working around that date. And it, you have to think about it differently when it comes to vinyl. And like you were saying, it's, you know, it's also not like they're just cranking out all, all the same quality jackets, the same quality vinyl, the same color vinyl. No, there's so many variations, so many options. And of course, because you're paying... $60 for an album, whatever you're paying. It's a it's premium pre- product. It's a premium product. And you've, Absolutely. You, you've been to pressing plants. Um, there, there's this really great uh, pressing plant that a friend of mine sent me uh, the other day that now they, they put in like a coffee bar and you can get, you know, uh, drinks and things and, and actually sit there and watch Rot, down yeah. below as they're making vinyl, which I think is yeah. amazing. Um, but talk a little bit about the process of making a vinyl record, I've been to pressing plants too, and it's complicated. It's there, it's a lot of different steps. There's a lot of quality control. Talk about what yeah, goes well, into well, making a vinyl it's, album. It starts and it starts really with the mastering. You know, so you 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 it's you're, you're mastering a separate format that is very unique and has very inherent problems with it in terms of the amount of music you can put on it the frequency range on it so you're and you've seen some of you know the whole thing the, the whole manufacturing process is very steampunk for lack it of is. a better word That's all of great, these wonderful yeah. looking machines and and they're very old you know when i worked for doug Sachs at the mastering lab and he had i think he was using uh lays that were oh gosh from the late 40s or early 50s it's amazing and they still work yeah they still work they still work great but it's it's a very time-consuming process to do it right and of course people because it's a premium product they are doing it right um but you know you have a finite amount of 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 uh quality on your stampers so if it's a if it's a large and don't those have to be replaced after x yes, amount of absolutely of, of of time exactly and so there's just so many steps to it that are just time consuming and expensive and unique to it. What, what is and the time thing? Because I is it like twenty two minutes aside or something like that for? But you can cram on more, and we've seen imports where they do that. But then the quality is degraded, right? Yes. So it's always a balance. You're always balancing between quality and time and and frequency, basically. You know, it's and the inside, you know, has different challenges than the outside. You know, as you get further down in, in vinyl. So there's, and and you know, we kind of talked about this. You know, a lot of those people that were in vinyl have since retired or died. And mm-hmm. so, th- so there's, there's a, a, a f- much smaller pool of people that understand it, really, because they were there the, f- the last time it was, it was a thing. Um, so there's just a lot of, you know, it's not set and forget. I guess that's probably the, the, the top level thing you can say is it's, there's not a box that you just say, here's my music, put it through the box, and then put it out in well, vinyl. Like CDs, no. for example, are inexpensive 
Yes. And you can turn them around pretty fast. Um, yes. Disc Makers is awesome. You can yeah. order your own CD from them. And literally in, in a matter of days, you, you have it and you can sell it at the merch table. Vinyl, it takes, as you mentioned, you know, now seven, eight, nine months. And now some yeah. of these artists are saying like, well, vinyl's not really that important to me. And I don't know, like they talk about in this article, there's a ambient, uh, artist out of Atlanta, Geographic North. And the quote was, I mainly release minimalism and microtonal music. Why put it out on vinyl? He says, a lot of people who are into experimental electronic music, they really like CDs. Well, I, I that may be so, but vinyl is is bigger than just a configuration. And what I mean by that is it's it's... It's also kind of like when Apple had the iPod when they released it and everybody wanted those white uh, uh, headphones. It was a status mm -hmm. symbol. And the yes. thing about vinyl is I've, I've read studies where they say that there's a certain percentage of vinyl that's not even listened to. People put it up on their shelf to show how cool they are that's and then right. they'll grab the download card or they'll stream it off of their DSP. But having that vinyl up in their office on their shelf is like, oh, wow, you got that on vinyl, man. Pretty status cool. symbol, yeah. Well, and it's yeah, like we've talked about, it's 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 certainly a format, of course, but it's also a part of a marketing campaign. It's also part of a publicity campaign, and like you said, it's a status thing. It's a fashion thing for a lot of people, yeah. and so th so I would kind of I, I and I the people that were kind of saying that in the article, I kind of give them the stink eye by saying, are you just saying that because you can't get it because you can't do it? And now you're, I making think you're reasons. right. That's what I think it is. Cause the sub headline here is faced with, you know, manufacturing delays. Some of music's DIY players are giving up on the beloved format. I don't believe that. I don't believe they're giving yeah. up on it. I, I, well, they're I giving up on doing I'm it. They're, 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 yeah, they're throwing to in like the towel. Not be able to yeah. do it. It's right. like, you know, you, you don't get invited to a party and you're like, well, I'm not going, <laughs> I wasn't going to go anyway. <laughs> So that's right. Anyway, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Enough I think said, that's uh, but you know, I, I still, you know, we just had record store day yesterday, uh, record mm -hmm. store day drop. I still love vinyl. Um, I got this really cool 45 by, um, Sting's son, Joe. Uh, uh he put out this, uh, it's on clear vinyl. It's really good. Crazy thing. I mean, he sounds just like his dad. I mean, you the, the, I remember the him doesn't fall too yeah, far from that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some of his music, and you're right. He, it's like uncanny. Not surprising, really. But you know, yeah, it, it, but really good stuff. Um, but mm -hmm. there were so many great vinyl things for for record store day. Somebody's planning. Somebody's getting out ahead of it. That's Just right. saying. And somebody's buying it. Lots of people are buying it. Yeah, it's fun. So. Cool. Don't throw in the towel just because you haven't uh, followed the six P's. Proper planning prevents performance. <laughs> I need so a T-shirt that has that. Oh, we do. That we do, one do, and do, a playlist do. is not a marketing plan. Exactly. That's that would be the one would be on the front and one would be on the back. Yes, on our proverbial T-shirts. All right. Well, how about the last article, Jay? We are um, we are both parents of Gen Zs and uh, how millennials and Gen Zs are redefining digital audio. This in Billboard. Yeah. Um, and I always forget the age ranges, which is which is, you know, part of it. So uh, so a Gen Z is 15 to 25 yep. and millennials are 26 to 40. Just as an FYI. So that's you, you at least need to know that going in. That's that's the age. Oh, OK, range. boomer. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Okay, Boomer. <laughs> um, 
This year we learned, not surprisingly, Jay, that Gen Z and millennial creators and listeners are as obsessed with digital audio as we are with them. And while these generations' differences have launched a million memes, their similarities oh, speak volumes as they navigate a common challenge, rebuilding culture from the ground My up. kids speak in memes. By the way, this Culture Next is something that Spotify does every year, and it's really interesting to kind of, you know, like see what younger people are into. And you can't just say young people are into streaming or young people are into this. Yes. It, I love how they look at the Gen Zs versus the millennials. A lot of the things they like and dislike are similar. A lot of things aren't. And they do, you know, for, you know, people like us, they do this beautiful infographic in this um, article. So you can, at a glance, you can kind yeah. of see, oh, well, they both... Both of those groups believe that audio is a stress reliever. Okay, that's cool. That's true with me. Um, all right. And then you kind of go and look at some of the, uh, the other kind of categories, you know, that if it does it drive culture, you know, um, you know are, how well, important are podcasts, you know? And what I was really surprised at is how important podcasts are to both of these groups. Yeah. The first thing that I kind of saw, which is interesting, is 71% of Spotify free listeners are under 35, and the median age of their podcast listeners is 27. Mm. So that kind of frames it. It's, it's a gigantic, well, not surprising, I suppose, on the free on the free service. And I don't know, I didn't see what, what, what the paid service is. But, you know, you're already talking about... Uh, by and large, people under 35 that are massively consuming digital streaming, which makes sense, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, again, you, when you talk about the culture, um, you know, they, they, not surprisingly, lots of people think that the streaming platforms at, lar uh, at large, including audio, have significantly cha shaped how they discover and connect with a broader culture. It's, again, you're getting back it's to... It's not just kind of music, it's culture. Yeah, finding your tribe, right. so to speak. Exactly. People like us do things like this. You know, they, they got all of this, and they, they do an extensive, um, you know, kind of research on this. They surveyed 9,000 Gen Z and millennials um, across U.S., Canada, Mexico, Brazil, a whole, whole bunch of other yeah. countries, right? They also partnered with this youth culture agency um, called Arch Rival, uh, to conduct Zoom focus groups, you know, with 40 in-depth interviews and all sorts of things in, in 16 markets. So they did the due diligence and went through this. So if you're interested in, you know, what the kids are into, you have to check out the Spotify uh, research that they do, again, every year. It's called Culture Next. Um, and check it out in your morning coffee, and you can uh, download this thing, uh, read through it. But... It, it really kind of opens your eyes to what these groups are doing, you know, with culture, but also kind of just the, the slight differences between the two groups. Do, do you know what the, the group after uh, Gen Z is called? No. Put you on the spot? It's Alpha. I, yeah. Oh, it's Alpha. Yeah. Really? Generation and Alpha is the, the group now. The, the next demographic I didn't know that. I had group. to Google it. And what is the range for the alphas? It came right after, in fact, I have it right here. It came right after Gen Z. So um, 
as you so that mentioned, would be, a millennial is anyone born between 1980 and 1995, and there's like 80 million millennials in the country, right? Gen Z right. is anyone born between 1996 and the you know mid 2000s, depending on who you ask, and there's about 90 million of those. The next one is Generation Alpha, so that kind of starts when Gen Z ends, which again, depending on who you ask, is kind of in the mid 2000s. Right. So, so generally speaking, if, if you're 14 years or younger, you're an alpha, gen alpha. So maybe, yeah, for, yeah, which is interesting. Well, which is, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. The whole thing, the demographic thing is fascinating. And I don't, (laughs) I don't get that deep into it, but I'm always kind of, you know, when you, when you, if if you're a parent and you, in my case, I talk to my kids and you realize, oh yeah, they, they have a whole, they're wired differently. Well, if you would have asked me last week, what's the difference between a millennial and a Gen Z? I had a general sense, but because of this article and it's so much about those two groups, I looked it up, of course, and said, oh, okay, that makes sense. And, you know, otherwise I wouldn't have known what Generation Alpha was. Like you, I just, it's not on my radar, really. (laughs) My my radar has limited capacity, quite frankly. Yes. So, Especially when you get all, I mean, it, one of the things I was struck with, as we, you know, you talked about in the in the newsletter, you've got links to all of these reports that you can download, which are unbelievably fascinating, and they're free. But it's but it's and they're free. <laughs> they're so well laid out. It's not, it's not like hard to read. It's it's fascinating. The only one that was but difficult. Sorry to cut you off. The only one that yeah, yeah. was really difficult, man. That that UK. Parliament. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that was. A, that's I had dance. to go through it twice because my eyes were starting to gloss over, and and I didn't finish it's just it. That's so how, deep. Yeah. It's like a book, yeah. and so right. what I do to hold my attention is I go through with a highlight. Um, like on my iPad, I can highlight it and then yeah. I can click a button. It'll send those notes to me, which I really like. So it, it is. There's a lot in there, but even if you're just scanning it over. That is an amazing, amazing report, not just on the state of the music industry in the UK, but the state of the music industry global and how it got there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, to use a, a kind of a, a funny uh, phrase, the UK, in terms of the, relative to the size of the market, they fight well above their weight. When you look at, at how many things, you know, as I'm watching this McCartney documentary, you know, you talk about the rise of the UK music industry. And um, yeah, they, they are so influential and so important. So it's, although they're not a gigantic market, they're a huge market, but not, not enormous, not like the size of here. But um, yeah, but what I was going to say about the radar, you know, when you, with all of the data that we have to parse these days, uh, sometimes, you know, my, my, the hard drive between my ears just says hard drive full and I'm, I can't process stuff. I'm yeah. like, I gotta, I gotta set all this stuff aside. And I have to take notes because I, I probably read, well, I read everything in your morning coffee that's featured. And then the second mm-hmm. cup, I always put in like another couple dozen articles in there that I scan. I don't read all yeah. of those, but still for your morning coffee each week, I'm probably reading that's a lot. Yeah. Maybe North of you know, 30, 40, 50 articles each week. And sometimes I'll, I'll read an article and just, I'd zone out. I go somewhere else and I have to kind of reread it. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's yeah, so many distractions, you know, I wonder what Fruit Loops and beer taste like. You know? <laughs> I don't okay. Know. Back, 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 back. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, as, as I have said, and, and we talk about a lot, one of the reasons that 
that the newsletter is so fantastic, and hopefully the same thing with the podcast, is that uh, you parse it out and, and you tell us what's important to read this week. And that's a wonderful service because it is overwhelming. It is absolutely overwhelming. So for that, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. What you do. Thank you. There you go. And on that note, Jay, we need to wrap up. Any big plans for the rest of the day, or are you just going to chill? I have a couple of records that hit Friday, and I'm getting ready to do some reporting, um, watching the data closely. Um, I have a couple that are doing (laughs) pretty well. And it's uh, you you watch the data because that informs your decision of, you know, sometimes whether you're going to go to radio or Mm -hmm. what kind of investment you're going to make. And I got to tell you, anybody who says they got this figured out is you know, probably nuts or lying because it's so subjective. It's so you, it's not a cookie cutter approach in the music industry anymore. You can Mm-mm. do a similar marketing plan for two artists in the same genre and have totally different results. So that's why we always say a playlist is not a marketing plan. And it's also why every single plan uh, has to be custom made and custom fit. So I, you know, people say to me, you know, like, do you always work? And it's like, yeah, I do. But <laughs> I, I love what I do. I can't, there's nothing else I would rather do. Um, except for maybe, you know, sometimes photography, as you know, I have a photo studio and I do photography, but I, I don't want to stop doing this. I want to, I want to do more of it. So yeah, I can't wait. Until, I can't wait until you and I, uh, you know, uh, have another cheeseburger together and solve all the industry's problems, you know, over some cheesy fries. And that might be happening this week. Uh, so we'll talk after that oh, about please. that. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening. And Jay and I certainly appreciate us, uh, you lending us your ears. We, uh, we are flattered and appreciative. So thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.